This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 16th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Wayne Kurtzman. I started at Hofstra Radio in 1974 while I was a junior in high school and came into Hofstra uh, 76 to 1980. Okay. Can you tell us the names of the shows and programs you worked on at WVHC? So many. Um, I uh, ranged, uh, the one I did the longest was Hempstead Town Hall Concerts, which was a live concert series on Sunday evenings from the Hempstead Town Hall Hearing Pavilion. Um, and I did shows in folk, in classical, in country, um, many other genres. Uh, I produced um, Spanish programs. Um, and just really pretty much, I even did La Voix Francaise um, from an uh, engineering standpoint. So there were a number of programs that um, when we needed someone, uh, I was there. But the longest one was definitely Hempstead Town Hall Concerts. Okay. Um, was that uh, from mostly a, a producing and engineering standpoint, or were you a host on that program? How did that work? Well, starting in high school... I pretty much absorbed everything I can. I got my FCC third class radio telephone license while I was still in high school. And actually, even before I went to WVHC at the time, WRHU, um, I managed to talk a DJ at WGBB uh, in Freeport into visiting the station some Sundays. And I learned how to run a board there uh, in the new studio. So, and I edited uh, tape. I had a reel-to-reel at home, an old webcore, um, four-track. And um, by the time I got to Hofstra, I was like, well, I can do tape. I can do a mini board. I can, so uh, I kind of came in already. So whatever needed, um, I was willing, whatever they would trust me with. So it was learning the board, learning more about the station. Um, and there were so many great people to help along the way and um, and really picked up the remote engineering. Uh, that was Mike Billiter who did a lot of that at the time. Um, and I got to um, got to really learn how to mix down um, a, uh, a concert, um, the specifics around the mics we used. Um, literally did a whole lot. And that was... Uh, and that, that got me started. And from there, uh, I did engineer it. And then when it came time, there was an opening. I was like, you know, I am I was maybe a late freshman, early sophomores. Like, um, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got my first show. It was like the um, the show with the rotating hosts. I, I definitely embraced. Okay. Um, during your time at WVHC, did you have any titles or positions? I started off as continuity, uh, became uh, PR uh, the year that we had the tower uh, go up on Tower C. So when we went from a 79-foot tower to a um, 535-foot, I think it is, um, I was up there watching that tower land in Tower C and then um, also uh, chief announcer for, uh, for a good amount of time as well. Okay. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have a, an on-air name or nickname? 
I generally use my own name, Wayne Kurtzman. Okay. So this is a two-part question, and you can, uh, you've can you alluded to it a little bit here, but you can answer it as it makes sense. But I'm always curious, what is it that brings people to the station in the first place? And then if you could describe what it was like when you got there, maybe people that you met or what the offices or studios were like. When I got there, now, a little bit about my history. I was very into meteorology uh, at a very early age. So at age nine, I started as a volunteer weather observer for WOR in New York. And at, and I got to go to WOR a number of times. And pretty much each day I would talk to Stu Soroka, Alan Casper, or Tori Jacobson, uh, the three-person meteorology team that WOR had. So my first view of a radio station was WOR and WORFM. I mean, beautiful zillion-dollar stations. Uh, then WGBB uh, and other stations that I was able to visit. And when it came time for WVHC, this was the time where the station studios were located uh, subterraneanly mm -hmm. beneath the uh, little theater. And it was damp, it was dark, but there was an energy, there was a um, camaraderie that people had. There was a collaboration that was very visible, and that was very appealing. And I understood even then what was going on and that this is somewhere I wanted to be. I clearly wanted to go into radio, and Hofstra was one of the, uh, one of the, um, one of the universities. It was um, being raised on the South Shore of Long Island, also helped, but I was looking at Emerson and Syracuse and SUNY Buffalo, and they had a silly rule that you couldn't touch equipment till you were a sophomore or junior. Hmm. And it's like, I've been touching equipment for years. Um, and the more I worked at Hofstra and volunteered and um, got cleared for the board by Tom D'Agostino and Mike Billiter, who were great teachers. There were a lot of great teachers in the student body. And that was the other thing that was really attractive is this was student run. Um, I got to meet Jeff Krauss and understood where he came from. Jeff had this tremendous elevator voice. The, if you're not familiar with the term, the elevator voice is the voice that you know there's an announcer on the elevator. Mm. And he just had that clear, crisp voice. Um, and he was, over time, he came off intimidating at first to many, but for some reason, I just, um, the sarcasm was at another level with Jeff, and I totally loved that, and I think he, he understood that uh, I appreciated the sarcasm um, and that I was more like a sponge learning from everyone, but um, there was Rob Wilson who taught a lot, Elliot Lifson, uh, George Thomas Musgraves III, who was phenomenal um, at a whole different level um, and different ways of learning. were also Charlie Kadu, Chuck Graziano, Linda Daylater. We're all, um, all there early on. I, rem I remember very vividly and each were really incredibly collaborative. And that's, that was the biggest thing I took away is that the learning was collaborative and the students were in charge 
and it sounded good. And tightness on air was something they were striving for. Um, it was it was learning, but it was in real life, in real time learning. Hmm. So I, I want to go back for a second, um, just to make sure I've got this straight. So the first time you went down to WVHC, were you still in high school? I was in high school. I was just a junior in high school with my third class ticket, uh, with some board work outside. I made a call. Um, I think I talked to Jeffrey at the time, um, possibly Linda Delieter, and uh, de- definitely wound up there in high school. Well, wow. and you you said well, what I was trying to get to get back to is you you had spent time at WOR, a professional station uh, in New York City, and you talked about how it was a I think a, you said zillion dollar station, and then you go to the basement of the little theater, <laughs> and there's there's different reasons to be attracted to both. So could you talk about you know the expectations and reality and what you actually got to do and were able to do? Sure. Um, I think, let me clarify, because as a weather observer for WOR, most of that consisted of, hey, I'm really interested in weather, and I can call you each morning, tell you what's happening. And they said, sure, the more data points, the better. And um, what? so most of that was a call in the morning or calls when things happened. And then I got to go a couple of times a year to WOR. Uh, and. But coming, there's a difference between going and knowing what's on the horizon. Yeah, I could be a WOR one day. Uh, and having hands-on right now, which is what WVHC was. And not only that, it the academic program was in line with what I wanted to see, what I wanted to go through. Uh, I felt that the focus... Um, especially in the comms department, was exactly where I wanted. Um, There was so much emphasis um, placed, and every person took great pride in emphasis to the audience and focus to the audience. And that's something that I carry with me um, through whatever position I have had, is the audience is pretty critical, especially um, through marketing or talking about high-tech um, it all really started um, at WVHC. And yes, the uh, occasionally working fluorescent lights, and you had to turn off the air conditioner if you were comboing so um, so you could be heard louder than the air conditioner. And that was an old loud air conditioner. Um, yeah, yeah. You probably need safety ear earwear around that um, when you're not on air, but uh, that that's a long time ago. But all the aspects of the collaboration, of the focus, um, and of the product, honestly, um, what people were doing was more attractive in some ways and had a higher energy level, certainly, than uh, some of the stations that I've seen elsewhere. Uh, I've, I've heard a number of descriptions of the station uh, under the little theater. And this is the first time I can recall hearing about an air conditioner. And, we had and- an air conditioner. That was important. We were also underground. That was ridiculous. But it was quiet. 
unless they were dancing upstairs in the little theater. Then, mm -mm. but uh, yeah, the air conditioner, you had to turn it off. Um, And when you were about to turn on the mic and when you didn't, you heard the air conditioner, it carried on air. So uh, there was one just, I guess, and that would have been Studio B where the on-air engineer was? No, it was uh, the engineer, I think, uh, well, Master Control, um, which is where the Gates board was, the Gates diplomat. Um, Then you'd look forward through the glass, um, and there'd be Studio A with uh, record albums stacked to the ceiling on three in, in lovely shelves, and they were organized thanks to the music director, on three sides. And if you got anything out of order, mm-mm, not popular. Uh, and then if you were um, back in Master Control, but look to your right, there was the new studio, uh, which we called Studio B. Okay. Um, that one did not have an air conditioner. Only Master Control had the air conditioner. Okay. All right. Another detail to add into my mental picture. Thank you. Um, so you get down to the station, you're in high school, you've got the FCC license. What was involved in getting you trained to be on the air? Was there a class? Were you tracking or observing? How did that go? Um, it was both of those. Uh, Tom D'Agostino ran that class. Um, and it was, it was board operations 101. Um, Jeffrey had made some training materials, on ditto paper. So it was that purple type. And I still have it, actually. Um, And um, we learned basically the functionality. What do the 10 pots do? What do the uh, dials above it do? How to run tight? How to cue a record? uh, Lead time on a cart? Um, And because I had done a lot with reel-to-reel tape before, uh, I was pretty familiar with it. And then the ability, uh, the training continued on, you know, where to run, um, the pot to prevent over modulating, of course, uh, the transmitter, uh, the fear put into you from the, from the FCC, if you did something wrong. So how to prevent doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And there was a considerable amount of training in that as well. So literally this was about process. It was about understanding how to get a clean product to air and the practice time to do it, which often came outside of class as well. So all these things were brought together and um, over time you kept getting better and better, but I did get cleared for air and uh, which meant I could engineer a show and the first show that I wound up doing was uh, the swing years which was on Sunday night at 6 p.m. hosted by Dave Wiener at the time and I did that for for a while as well um when you took the announcing class do you remember who taught that was that Jeff Krause or was that a student uh, that was a student. It was a student for a long time. Uh, Rory Smith, if I'm not mistaken, um, had very clean diction and um, and worked on a lot of the basics. And I had worked since I was actually born in Brooklyn and raised on Long Island. The natural sound would be more like this. But um, just repronouncing 
words, uh, especially picking several people uh, on air to follow. One was Dan Ingram, um, who I later found out uh, was a WVHC. Actually, at that point, I think maybe a WHCH alumni, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, uh, still from the same same lands, and um, worked on diction. So when I got there, uh, it was really just improving. Um, it was making sure we had Nassau County and not Nassau County. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was like, we want to make sure we're the sound of Long Island, uh, soft G. Mm-hmm. So all those elements, breath control, um, we had a tendency to read several uh, commercials, which include um, one that started with the flu season rapidly approaching, you know, and it turned out, you know, bear spot and some other uh, actual ad copy uh, that was incorporated into the class. And then once you get through and you get on air, uh, the first step is continuity. You're reading the PSAs, you're reading the breaks in between. Do you recall getting on the air behind the mic for the first time? I remember um, getting getting on air and it was like, you know, the first time is always a little bit uh, nerve wracking, but I think I was more excited than nervous. So I were, I tried to make sure, manage the breath control, you know, the copy. Um, it's not a lot of copy. Um, and, um, and I just, it was a pretty much cut and dry spot is like, uh, and I'm sure the voice was oscillating a little bit more than it probably needed to, but that improved over time. Hmm. Hmm. Um, when do you think it, it, it seems like pretty quickly, I don't, but I don't want to jump ahead here. When did you feel comfortable getting on the air behind the mic or, or combo cleared? Was it, was it pretty quickly or did it take a little while? For me, it was uh, definitely sophomore year. I think freshman year to to a good extent. Uh, we did sign-ons because at that point, the station didn't come on till 2 p.m. Um, and we operated 12 hours a day, which is what the FCC uh, allowed for that station. And uh, it, we would open with the Star Spangled Banner. And here today's date is this, and here's a look at what's coming up on WVHC. And we'd go down the full list of the programs until changes in that 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. slot. Um, And a lot of times, you know, we had to scramble to get someone to do that two o'clock. So I know I did that a number of times. Um, And uh, as it evolved, the comfort level evolved. The more you do it, um, the more comfortable. I was comboing in my sophomore year. Actually, I think the most interesting part about it, actually, no, I was comboing, I think, in my freshman year. Uh, but I think the most most interesting part was during freshman orientation, um, I actually was the student representative to show the radio station. I was given a key. Um, and I actually, uh, brought the communications majors in to see the, uh, radio station. So that was, uh, that was cool, but, uh, obviously trusted enough, um, to do that at that time. Um, and, uh, that 
actually happened, if I recall. Yeah, we were not on the air at that moment. Uh, I think it was a little after lunchtime, so we had a little time. But um, yeah, there was a there was a comfort level, and then it was getting challenged by the different genres that we had. We very much a block programming format, and what uh, what are we what can I learn? <laughs> what can I do better? What can we do? Uh, what can we do that hasn't been done before? Um, what can we do that's really silly? And that's where I think um, I got a lot of uh, positive feedback from. Uh, uh, Charlie Kadu, Chuck Graziano, uh, uh, Steve Graziano, they're, they're just both brilliant, but when you put them together, it's brilliant squared. So um, just to see, just to expand uh, comedy and smart comedy and things that we could use further down the road, I thought was very, um, that added a whole nother dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect of this this question about getting comfortable at the station um since you went down there and were still in high school did you feel comfortable right away because uh, i know a number of uh, other folks or at least a few others uh joined at a, at a relatively early age did you feel like you were comfortable at the station right away or did that come a little bit later when you're a student no that came before um one of the things that i that was very evident is that WVHC was not just for Hofstra students. It was for the Hofstra community. And many people from outside the community um, were also active. And, you know, but we felt all members of the family. I mean, we were, it's not that you were an outsider. No, uh, I was very comfortable from day one. Um and I was also very headstrong, but um, in that I know I'm going there, help me, and I'll mm-hmm. see what I can help you with along the way. But I, I was kind of came in as more the sponge is like, teach me, teach me, teach me. And I think Krauss um, called, called me out on that at one point, and we had a conversation on that, and it was a good one. It was great. Um, but uh, to be noticed by... Uh, by Jeff, I think, was um, was a lot of positive reinforcement as well. But to be honest, a lot of it goes. We we had uh, at at the time in my time uh, at WVHC WRHU uh, just incredible people, um, you know, and that kept coming. Uh, uh, you know, Karen Hamble who. Uh, who became chief engineer uh, and so many other folks. I mean, even Teddy Ronnenberger, who was our um, exec engineer at the time came, came in, you learn from people. And ultimately um, there was so much to learn, uh, but classes got in the way sometimes. Hmm. Uh, But people who um, worked in, uh, in New York city would occasionally come by and you would, there's more to learn. Um, so it was that, and you were dealing with things that were happening in the community in news. It was a radio station. So there was a never ending, uh, learning process going in there, which later when I went into radio, tried to carry the same collaboration and that same dynamic, um, into the stations that I went to. Hmm. 
Um, that's great. I, I want to go back to that. You alluded to a conversation with Jeff Krause where you said that he called you out or do you, do you mind talking about what that was or no, or no, what, no. What it was suggested. Like, yeah. Um, back in those days, the offices were across campus um, and they were upstairs in Memorial hall. And uh, occasionally I would go up there um, and uh, Jeff would, I remember Jeff uh, on his pipe. Um, he would, uh, um, those were the days, uh, <laughs> that was, um, you know, but, uh, you know, so he said, you know, I've noticed, I've noticed you doing good stuff here. Uh, and he was, um, he, and it was pretty much just saying, yeah, I've seen what you've done. I've heard what you've done. I always listen. I always listen. Mm -hmm. He did always listen, by the way. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and actually, um, and, and it would, it was really that. And it was like, he wanted to make sure, I think um, at that point that I was going to Hofstra because he knew I was, I was considering it. I think it may have been the only recruitment I've ever heard him do, but just to make, just to make sure where I was. Um, and, you know, what Jeff did uh, that I appreciate more than anything is he let everyone be who they're, who they were and gave them space to do it and wanted everyone else to give them space. And that was very key in who he put in certain roles and who would, allow that to happen. And I thought that was, um, that was something that I recognized, recognized, uh, before I got to Hofstra. Um, but I also realized that I do not want, uh, Jeff on my enemies list in any way, shape or form. Um, and he was, um, you know, he was, he was a great teacher. I learned a lot of Foley work, the sound effect work, uh, from him and some of the productions that we did um, over the years. Um, I'm sorry I missed some of the really great stuff that happened earlier prior to me getting there, but I did, I was listening to it, especially the radio drama. Mm -hmm. um, but folks like Sue Zizza and Karen Hamble did great things with that, and um, it was open to a lot of folks. But um, yeah, over the years, um, Jeff was just tremendous because you can ask him a question and he will not sugarcoat. He will tell you what you need to hear um, in a way that's helpful. He was the impartial observer that was there when you needed it. And from that point of view, it was incredibly helpful, um, not just to me, but to many people. Um, it, it was great uh, working with Jeff. And when Jeff decided to do a show and it was, and I'll do my best Jeff Krause impression. It was M-O-R middle of the road music. Well, music you love to hate. <laughs> uh, I do think I was a sophomore or maybe, and he asked for me as an engineer and is like, I felt that that was, um, I, I was, I was psyched with that. And he would come in with these big ETs, these glass electrical transcription, 
that would take up the whole wide platform uh, turntable that we had. Um, and he would always say something like, do not break this. It costs more than my house. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and it, it was, you know, I think for the first five minutes, I might've been a little bit more nervous because it was my first time engineering for Jeff, but, you know, he was, um, he was absolutely great to work with, um, um, on, on any type of production. I think it's a testament to the man that, that almost everyone who worked with him said he was intimidating. And like you said, you didn't want to get on his enemies list or on his bad side. And yet teenagers or outsiders could call up or show up at the station and say, I would like to participate. I would like to learn. I would like to do something. And he welcomed them in and gave them the guidance, like you said, to find them into the right spot. I think that's it's a really interesting uh, testament to the man's character and talent. Brian, I'm not sure he really had an enemies list. He just wanted everyone to think he did. <laughs> well, that's, but, that, that's pretty effective. But it's it's true. And the thing that I really appreciate is that there were so many people who really knew their aspect of radio and could teach it. And I feel very fortunate to have been a chief announcer and have been in PR and uh, continuity and to do um, almost, you know, a lot of the things and to be at a place where you could do everything. And when I left Hofstra, I wanted to know how to have so many tools that I could run a radio station if I needed to, uh, not just take a shift. Mm -hmm. And um, that's exactly what happened as I helped start a radio station. But um, I think the... the um, the thing that I miss most having moved out of the Long Island area is the, uh, is the, is the family of Hofstra radio. Hmm. Obviously your time at WVHC meant a lot to you. And, and you mentioned so many wonderful names and experiences and we're having this conversation and looking back at obviously how, how much Hofstra radio meant to you. And I'm going to ask if it's possible and you choose where you want to go, either when you first came to the station in high school or when you enrolled as uh, a college student. Um, but at that time, as a young man, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean to you? I wanted to learn. Um, so back when I first started in high school, I wanted to learn. Um and there were a lot of folks. I just wanted to be able to have the tools that I could, in fact, run a station um, with a little bit more time when I got out. Where I wanted to go was a little bit interesting because in the um, in as we because I did have that interest in meteorology and science, and I had a strong journalism interest and i did cover all the election nights that i was there um 
and uh, did get snowed in in the blizzard of 78. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, what do you want to do after this? Um, and definitely it was go into radio and see where it goes um, and then take it up a level. And ultimately, um, I, to answer the question directly, I wanted to learn as much about how a radio station runs on so many levels as much as possible. And um, in 78, I also uh, got a uh, full-time job uh, while I was going to school um, as a uh, broadcast meteorologist um, or a weather analyst um, doing 30 morning drive stations um, up and down. So all that came from Hofstra and it extended a little bit more. And uh, actually some other WVHCers uh, wound up there as well um, because, you know, it was ultimately continue learning, continue see what others are doing, learn from each other, learn with each other, um, and make the station a better place. Hmm. Wayne, you have painted such a, a wonderful picture of uh, what WVHC was at the time and, and your experience and, and what it meant to you. And uh, uh, I thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories. This was really wonderful. And, and I'm banking on you having more stories uh, and I will come up with more questions and we can do this again sometime. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Brian.